Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Nothing personal. Word of the day for May the 4th be with you is Deep Scar. May 4th, 2022. I don't watch Star Wars. I saw the first one in 1977. That's it. I may have seen part of Empire Strikes Back, but I not any of the others. Like there have been 10 of them or 15 of them, or I think they're like the 20th sequels coming out with Obi-Wan, Ben Kenobi, and Ewan McGregor, and the guy from Jumper who used to be with Rachel Bilson. Whatever, May the 4th, Deep Scar is the word, and that is the word that was used, the phrase that was used by Ryan Tannehill to describe how he feels. And I wanted to take a moment because I spend a lot of time on nothing personal telling you the players don't care, telling you that executives and fans want to win more than players do. I say that as a general rule, and I stick to it. Fans take a much longer time to get over losses than players. It's their job. Some days you have a good day at the office. Some days you have a bad day at the office. And then you go through the elevator of severance. You go home. You go to bed, get on the couch, open a beer, and you get ready for the next day. Players tend to have the ability to have very short memories because that is the only way to be a successful athlete. But there are certain things during a career and there are certain players who can take certain losses to heart. Couple of examples in games that don't matter. And I've told you when my friend Dan Ugla made three errors in an all-star game and set a record Everyone talks to him about it, and he laughs about it today. It didn't impact his career earnings. It didn't impact his career stats. He had a bad game on a national stage. Doesn't think about it. You make three errors or get the yips in a World Series game that causes your team to lose. It's going to have a slightly different impact, a slightly greater impact. And then depending on the player, that is how you can differentiate between someone who can forget about it in a day, a week, a month, a year, or in some cases never, and that player just doesn't recover. So the general rule stands, but there are specific instances where there is a problem. And Ryan Tannehill is an example. Last year during the NFL playoffs, he threw three interceptions against the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow, if you recall that, the Bengals went on to play in the Super Bowl that year. The Tannehill-led Titans were home. They were favored. 
I actually don't recall if they were favored. I assume they were favored because I think they were a top seed. And they end up losing 19-16. Yeah, there's no way the Bengals were at home. I'm, I can't. I don't know if the Bengals ever played at home in last year's playoffs. But anyway, Ryan Tannehill, who I have great experience from having lived in Miami during the Tannehill years where he was absolutely crushed by Dolphins fans, by local media, as being the reason for the Dolphins' mediocrity, which is which is fine if you're going to say it, but then you just have to say he's the latest reason for the Dolphins' mediocrity. You can't say the sole reason or the current reason, the new reason, just sort of the latest reason. So Ryan Tannehill decided it was time to meet the media yesterday, and he did. And he had some comments about mental health and about the struggles that he's had since that game. And he said that that loss created a deep scar. He said after that game, he would close his eyes, he'd replay the game, he'd replay the moment in his head, the way Pete Carroll has described the one-yard pass that was intercepted in the Super Bowl versus giving it to Marshawn Lynch. He talked about, I didn't get sleep for weeks, and then he said something that is so important. He said, what has helped me get through it is therapy. And it got me thinking how far we've come. It used to be that a player would not acknowledge any sort of mental issue. We would have a psychologist around the clubhouse. We'd call it a performance psychologist. You have a problem with your family. You have a problem with something that's going on. Good luck. Find somebody. 1-800-FIND-MY-COUCH. But we're not going to focus on it. As my career continued, we took a much greater interest in what was going on off the field because selfishly we said, wow, there seems to be some sort of correlation between off the field issues and on the field lack of performance, and that's impacting us. Therefore, we better deal with it, but only in a way where we can put a Band-Aid, a finger in the dike of a leak that has sprung, sort of like Toradol for the mind. For those of you who don't know, Toradol is the drug that pitchers get, that uh, NFL players get, and uh, MLB players get. You get it either by syringe in your tuchus, or you can take it by pill. It is a pain suppressant, a pain blocker, and you can play until you have a compound fracture and then keep playing, and then all of a sudden the pill wears off and you say, ooh, that sort of hurts, but at least I got to play. So we would do that same sort of thing with mental health. We're going to give you a mental Toradol. The mental Toradol is meant to get you through that particular moment, that particular at-bat, that particular game. We'll talk about visualization. We'll talk about coping mechanisms. We'll talk about compartmentalizing. In baseball, our doctor, Dr. Jeff Fishbein, would say to players, listen, here's all I need from you. Give me your attention in four-second intervals. Can you do that? Four seconds. In between pitches, you can look at the stands, you can get phone numbers, you can pick dirt, you can pick your teeth, whatever you want to do. But on the pitch, I'm going to need four seconds of your attention. So Ryan Tannehill being willing to discuss this so fully, what are the risks of him doing that? Does he appear weak? Well, that is how it used to be. And that is how it still is. And for the life of me, I don't know how to change your views except to talk about it more often and try to give it a sense of normalcy that players are people, players have 
problems, players require therapists to get them through those problems. And when we think that rich people have no problems, or we think professional athletes have no problems, they can get whoever they want, whenever they want to do whatever they want. God, what a life they must have. I caution you that the life that you don't have that you think is perfect is far from perfect. The problems that you have that you think those around you don't have, they actually do, but neither of you are talking about it, so you can't find your commonality of interest. So I'm thankful that Ryan Tannehill is willing to talk about how he has healed since that game and throwing three interceptions. I'm thankful that he was able and willing to talk about the fact that he used professional help because what is the difference between a therapist and an orthopedic surgeon or a therapist and a hand specialist or a therapist and a general internist? Nothing. Being sick in your mind is the same as being sick in your body. It requires the same attention to get better because if you don't get better, then you will not be able to perform on or off the field. So what teams are doing now is they're not just employing sports psychologists, they're employing non-sports psychologists. They are far more willing to get players on medicine that can be helpful to them. They are far more willing to have open talks with that player without retaliation. Believe me, 20 years ago, you got a player who's not there mentally, see you later. We can't fix it, so we're not going to take the time. We're going to release it. If we release a player with mental health, guess what? That means we're good to go. Everyone else is just fine. God, I'm angry with myself, Coco, for the number of times I said to players, what, you got it? You're, having, you're fighting with your wife? So am I. Who cares? Go play. Meanwhile, I'm in my office, I'm dealing with my friends, her friends, her, trying to figure out, am I going to get through this fight? What are we fighting about now? Does it involve the kids? Does it not involve the kids? Oh, could you push my meeting, Beth? I need another half hour on the phone. Players don't get that luxury. At 7.05, I always said, I don't care what happened during your day at 7.05, you are mine until 10.30. Some fast games yesterday in baseball, so maybe I could have said from 7.05 till 9.32. It's damn shameful, Coca. It's just as shameful, though, what Tannehill said after that. Coca and I, during our pre-prep show, prep game show prep, last night and this morning, I told him that I was deeply troubled by Ryan Tannehill in that same press conference where I was loving him for talking about mental health issues. Why he then said, and by the way, I'm very happy that the Titans drafted a quarterback named Dontrell Willis in the third round, but that said, I have no reason at all to be his mentor. He said, I don't think it's my job to mentor him. If he learns from me along the way, that's a great thing. And Coca's view, of course, is why would he have to mentor him? It's not his job. And then he gave me a laundry list of quarterbacks who didn't get mentored or do mentoring. Aaron Rodgers didn't get mentored by Favre, and he didn't mentor Love. Eli Manning didn't get mentored by blank. God damn it, Coca, where is my head? Eli Manning took over not for Phil Simms, not for Jeff Hostetler, not for Joe Pisarczyk. He took over for some other guy. It could have been uh, Jason Garrett. And then Eli Manning, in turn, didn't mentor Daniel Jones. And it goes on and on and on. The role of a veteran inside a clubhouse is a very important role. 
enough so that we will take the time to actually sit with veterans to go through a plan of what we are expecting of that veteran when we've got rookies coming up? Hey, make sure you teach them how to drink on the road. Make sure you teach them how to know when a woman has said yes versus no. Make sure you teach them that we need to be on time. We don't miss team buses. We don't miss team planes. We don't miss team stretch. Make sure we teach them about the grind of a major league season. We're not asking our veterans to teach our rookies the fine points of hitting, but that said, wouldn't mind if you sat around in the clubhouse after the game, had a beer to talk about the game. And that has disappeared, that aspect. They sit around the cage and they'll talk a little bit, but on team planes, they're not talking about the game or they're not giving pointers. They're playing cards or they're sleeping or watching movies. After the game, they're getting dressed, they're eating at separate tables, getting in 25 different cabs and going home and going out. At home, they're getting in their cars as quickly as they possibly can. Big difference from early in my career to later in my career. But mentoring can take on different forms as well. You can lead by example. You can point out things during the course of a game. You can point out things in baseball easily in the dugout. In between innings, there's enough downtime. And we would ask our veterans to do it. And for the most part, they were amenable to that request because they have this belief, and you heard it during the collective bargaining agreement, Baseball players have this stated desire to pay it forward, this stated desire to make the game better for the next group of players coming up so they can be jealous that they are making less money in their careers than these crappy new players. In football, there's this weird thing with quarterbacks that causes people like Coca to say, you know, that's not his job. Screw Willis. Let him just learn by example, learn by looking. Let him keep the earpiece in his ear. That's how the NFL mentors now. You give the backup quarterback the earpiece so they know the play that's being called. If you're going to say the quiet part out loud about just about anything, a word of caution, be prepared for the reaction. Because while everybody may be thinking what you are saying is accurate, while everybody may be actually doing exactly as you are doing, the implicit understanding is that you don't talk about it. Because once you do, we are withdrawing our support. If I am the owner of the Titans, I am having a conversation with Ryan Tannehill because if you want to be that way to Willis because you're only 33 and you're heading toward the last year of your deal and you want to get a new deal and blah, yeah, blah, blah, fine. But why say it? Tell me when you say something at work, when you are in a work atmosphere, let's say you're in public, let's say you're on the news, let's say you do a show on TV or radio or whatever you're doing. Doesn't everything you say have purpose? Now, if you are completely as I am, everything you say both personally and professionally has purpose. But that said, if you know that you need to speak with purpose, aren't you giving it some thought? How it's going to look, how it's going to be received. What kind of damage control am I going to need to do? Can I hide behind the fact that no one else is mentoring anyone else? And if I'm just saying the quiet part out loud, then people are going to be complimentary that I've done that. That's not how it works. Saying the quiet part out loud is also what happened in Jacksonville yesterday. And I 
cannot believe that Shad Khan did this. Shad Khan is the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars, who today will find out who they're playing in London and when, although by the time you're listening to this, there's a chance it's already been released because it may be released while we're recording ML- MLB. There you go, Coca. NFL's international schedule is being released today. Only they could release their schedule like in five counterparts, right? And everyone is so excited. They announced one damn game on Amazon during the draft, and you'd think that somehow people had found the reason why the earth rotates around the sun. That's how excited people were for the first Thursday Amazon game. What was it, the Chiefs and the Broncos or something? Game week two? Maybe that's week one and week two is a different game. Doesn't matter. They announced a game today. The NFL continues to announce. We're going to find out who the Packers play. Rumor is it's the Giants, who the Jaguars are going to play. So Shad Khan has owned the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he has had one foot in London and one foot in Jacksonville. And by the way, he's no Chuck Nevin or Manute Bull. It is almost impossible to have one foot in both. But try as he, as he has, what's resulted is a huge dose of mediocrity bordering on crappiness for a super long time. As you recall, they brought in Urban Meyer and everything was going to be fixed before last year. Huge hire, five-year deal, press conferences. We found our guy, finally. This is going to be the bridge to success that we've been waiting for, the aura of credibility that we have so, so craved to get. And then they canned him. So go back and listen to previous episodes of Nothing Personal, and you will find that that was a marriage made in hell That was going to end not with them in separate bedrooms. It was going to end in complete divorce, and it did. But that should be the end. When you own a team or the president of a team and you go through managers the way I did or the way Shad Khan goes through coaches, while he could say, hey, we had two guys in a row for four years, he has just not been successful. Don't give oxygen to the story. That would be the one rule that we are taught and that I would like to pay forward. I would like to mentor you, Shad Khan. Now, listen, you can mentor me because you are loaded and you've done it right financially. But man, running a team, yikes. So Shad Khan was asked about Urban Meyer. And the answer that he should have given would have gone something like this. I really don't want to talk much about what happened with Urban Meyer, except to say that I had very high hopes going into last season, and it just didn't turn out the way I expected. And instead of waiting as long as I've normally waited, I made the evaluation that our fans deserved. You got to mention the fans, of course, even though it had nothing to do with fans, that our fans deserved a new start, a fresh start with someone who I thought was going to help us win I was wrong with Urban Oscar Meyer. That would have been a statement. Instead, what he said is, this is a good one. Firing Urban Meyer was not about wins and losses. I think when you know someone is not truthful, how can you be around someone? Okay. We had Doug Maroney for four years, Gus Bradley for four years. I have nothing but the utmost respect and friendship with them. That's why they got the time, because it wasn't a matter about respect or truth. It was a matter of wins and losses over four years. 
This is much bigger than that. Huh? Shad Khan is telling you that because he loved Doug and Gus so much, he was willing to give them time when they may not have deserved to have that time because of the performance of the team, but that there was friendship, okay? It's not your job to be friends with your coach or friends with your manager. It's nice if it happens. It's nice if you have a relationship, but like most relationships with people at work, it's super close, and then when you stop working together, hey, I haven't spoken to that guy in about a month. Don't kid yourself. Work friendships are not actual friendships just because you spend all that time with them. People say, hey, it's my work wife or my work husband. I think that's more reflection of time than emotional attachment. So Shad Khan is talking about this attachment. Nowhere does he talk about the fact that there was a lack of performance. And then, boom. He's setting up a case. Shad Khan has not paid out Urban Meyer's contract. Shad Khan is saying he fired Urban Meyer for cause. Shad Khan is going to be in the middle of an arbitration hearing, if not a lawsuit, where there's going to have to be a finding of fact as to whether Urban Meyer was not truthful and that lack of truth led to his being terminated for cause. Urban? Urban? Were you at a bar with a young woman on your lap? True or false? Urban, did you have physical contact with any player? True or false? Urban, have you ever heard of Aaron Donald? True or false? Guess what? None of those are cause. I mean, they're cause to believe that someone's an idiot. They're cause to believe that someone's got a violent streak, a problem, an ego maniacal way of being that you should have known in advance if you had bothered to call one person. But cause? So Shad Khan meets with his lawyers, starts putting out stuff to paper the trail toward not paying Urban Meyer, not going to work. And the reason it's not going to work is that contracts are pretty specific when it comes to termination for cause clauses. And you cannot conform past behavior in order to fit it into a clause and then claim cause. Say that five times. You cannot conform behavior to fit into a clause that then becomes cause. I definitely didn't say it the same way twice, Coca. <laughs> if you can tell me mayor what I said, I can try to say it again twice. And I, we can just cut into it because that'd be funny. But I guess people know there's no prompter. So I don't know what I said. And I don't even know what I was talking about. Ryan Tannehill. We have to have been past that. Didn't we finish Tannehill? Okay. Ah, Urban. <laughs> That's it. All right. Thank you, everyone, for your attention today. I appreciate you being on the show. Is that it? Is the show over? Are we wrapping? I could not even remember that we were talking about Shad Khan and turning a clause against someone to show cause. And making sure that the lawyers are starting that roadmap for you, it's not going to work, Shad. I'm going to do an extra little wait to see here. There could be a settlement with Urban Meyer over the rest of his deal, but there is no way that he is going to prove cause. So let's do that as an extra wait to see, if you don't mind, Coca, because I have another one I want to get to today after the break. But the one that we're going to add is Urban Meyer will settle with Shad Khan 
and Shad Khan will not be able to prove that he terminated Urban Meyer for cause. Sitting on laps of people who are not married to you is not cause. Okay, why would an owner even do that? Money. Shocking. Money's everything when you are in business. Money is everything. The NCAA decided this year that they were going to allow players to get paid. Please go back to previous episodes, do a little episode search on N-I-L, and all you have to do is follow the M-O-N-E-Y. We talked about some quotes of people like Nick Saban saying, well, Alabama is now not going to be able to compete. Well, because you were cheating on your own this time, and now everybody's doing the same thing. Well, yesterday the NCAA came out with a bit of a announcement. College leaders apparently are going to try to crack down on NIL collectives. They're going to explore guidelines that reinforce that boosters are prohibited from recruiting. <laughs> Sorry, can I just say that again? Four, six, nine. The NCAA would like to crack down and reinforce the fact that boosters are prohibited from recruiting. What a bunch of horse hockey. Boosters have been recruiting players since the beginning of time, and you basically codified it by making the quiet part loud. Boosters go to players, and they say, Hi, would you like to come to my school? I'd like to give you $1 million. Do you think the boosters are the scouts? Do you think the boosters are evaluating the talent? It's like a joke. I don't know why my voice just cracked that way. It just went up like two octaves. It's like, it sounds like my bar mitzvah. Baruch atah. That's how I started. And my voice was changing in seventh grade. Sorry, detour, Coca. If I have a video cassette, video cassette, an audio cassette of my bar mitzvah, which is in February of 1981. And it starts like this with the blessings before the Haftorah. For those of you who aren't Jewish, you don't need to fast forward because it's going to get funny now that I would still remember this because I was so frantic that you get tutored and you go to class, et cetera, et cetera. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. I went back to my regular voice at the time, which was changing rapidly as a seventh grader. I always thought, like, if my voice is getting so low, shouldn't I be sprouting? Like, why do I still look like I'm six? Oh my God, I see a hair. <laughs> That's a great day, right? That means like stuff's happening. So you think for one minute that coaches, assistant coaches in, prof in professional and college sports, that's a Freudian slip. The way it works is, you see, it's the train moves and not the station. Thank you, John Lovitz. The way it works is that the coaches identify who they are trying to recruit. They go to the boosters and they say, excuse me, would you mind making a call? What's our budget again? Oh, $12 million? This guy is worth about two of it. Just call him, let him know. Cut a deal. We can't be involved in that. 
colleges and universities are working together with boosters. It's just over the table now, not under the table. You think that the guy in Miami, what is his name, Coca? Jose Ruiz, the guy who's funding all the University of Miami sports, the guy who wants to build a baseball stadium, a soccer stadium, wants to buy a baseball team, I mean, build a soccer stadium, buy the soccer team, whatever he wants to do. One of those lawyers who apparently is a billionaire. He's been spending money hand over fist. We, we discussed him yesterday. Wait, what day did we discuss, Coca? that there was a player who wanted to renegotiate his deal because someone else had a bigger deal. I don't know if you recall that. I think it was on a recent show. And the concept was that a player got paid X dollars. He then found out that another player coming to the school was paid Y dollars. Y was greater than the X. And he said, you know, I'd like a raise. And the booster came out and said, raise? We're not renegotiating. That's the money that you're getting. If you don't like it, don't take it and move on. Isaiah Wong from Miami, you think it was last Friday? That's a good call if you're right, Coca. If you can actually remember that, that would be awfully impressive. But it was Miami, which means it did involve Joe Ruiz. So what exactly were you thinking, just out of curiosity, when NIL happened? I've got the solution. So pay attention, Mark, although you're leaving the NCAA. Pay attention, Nick, and everybody else. Why don't we just call it what it is? Why don't we make all of college players employees? I used to be so against it, but they really are now. They're getting paid like employees. Put them on the payroll of the university. And then we institute, wait for it, a salary cap. What if college sports, college football specifically, college basketball in addition, not the polo team, what if we had a salary cap and actually you had a GM of a college roster who had to put a team together and the money for the salary cap, if you want to get to the salary cap, comes from boosters, donors. Do you know that when Boosters are giving money to players. They're not giving money to the university. Do you know the way boosters used to work? Is that money would go to the players, but really a good amount of money would go to the school. But if you are a booster or a donor and you've got $10,000 to give away to your alma mater and you want that $10,000 to be used for endowing a science professor or some sort of research or some sort of capital project. That's $10,000 that is used and counted on by the university in its budget. Budgets are made up of endowments, investment returns. So you use money from your endowment to help cover your budget deficit, which all schools have by definition, no matter what. You have financial aid you have to pay. You have professors you have to pay. You have running the plant, running the campus. It is a huge, huge business, a university, huge. When money comes from donors, there is a budget for the amount of money that you are going to get from a donor. And then that money is allocated across different departments, different fields of interest. When you're giving $10,000, Sometimes you can specify where that money is going to go. And sometimes it goes into a general fund where the school's in charge. 
But if instead that $10,000 goes to a player, then you're not going to all of a sudden give $20,000 because you also wanted to make sure there was a mathematics professor who got a TA or some sort of building got built or improvement got made to an existing building. You're not doubling your donation. The school uses the money how the school wants to use it. So boosters now are giving all this money to players and it is coming at the expense of money going to other parts of the university where it becomes so important. And COCA says, but don't worry if you get the better players because you're giving the most money to the players and then they win. You can get a better TV deal. You can raise your season ticket prices. You can get more people in the seats. You can get more money from conference championships and appearances, blah, 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 blah. Nope. The reason why that's wrong is that before this NIL system came into play, that was still happening. So there's no incremental dollars coming. The dollars are now going to players. And if you don't have the concomitant increase in revenue to offset your increase in expenses, then something else has to get cut because you're not gonna dip into your endowment over a certain percentage, period. So the NCAA needs to look at what NIL is happening and figure out what I believe is accurate, that these young players are making too much. Now get ready, everyone's gonna get upset with me. David, it's a free market, you told them all they're free agents. In a free market, you get whatever the market can bear. And you're right, that's true. But we also have the right in a free market to give you the rules of engagement. And the rules of engagement will be that you can put your 60-man roster together and you've got $10 million to do it. Good luck. Because if the boosters are willing to give $2 million, they're willing to give a total of, if you have a payroll of $60 million or $10 million, whatever the number is, and you've got boosters who are willing to donate more, guess what? You're still letting them be boosters. You're still letting them give that money because they've got tax reasons to give it. It's what they want to do to be BSDs in their alma mater or around campus or have access to the athletes. But then you'll have extra cash for the rest of the things in the university that matter to way more people. So many times we're caught up, oh my God, every, in Alabama, that's all everyone cares about is football. As long as you have a good football team, we're good. University of Miami, oh, we got to return the Hurricanes to prominence. Wouldn't you like to have an employee from a, uh, an employee, four, six, nine. Wouldn't you like to have a diploma from a university where its reputation was better today than it was when you were there? When you tell people where you went to school and it has this aura of importance that can help you make more money in your particular job, don't you want to be surrounded by the smartest people, the smartest professors who can help you be the smartest you can be, be the best you can be? It's why we have great coaches in college. We want the players to be the best players they can be on the field. There is a lot more in the university than just sports. And NIL has brought such a focus onto the payment of players that I am now giving in. Pay the players, make them employees, but give me a salary cap. When we come back, we're going to talk about Lovesick again because Johnny Flynn is now becoming a movie star. My guy from Netflix. No, my guy from Lovesick. We'll be right back. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thank you for rating, reviewing, following. Go to YouTube, Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Please hit subscribe. I have no idea why some crappy shows have all these thousands and thousands of subscribers. I haven't figured it out. I think Coke is doing a great job sort of marketing all the social media stuff that we're trying to do here on Nothing Personal. Thank you for giving us 45 minutes of your day. Put a review on Apple. I think that still matters. Although I have recent evidentiary proof that it doesn't matter the way I thought it would matter. But I digress. I watch a movie every day. We review it. I spent $19.99 on a movie called The Outfit with Mark Rylance. Mark Rylance, the Academy Award winner. Mark Rylance did a movie with Zoe Deutsch who is the daughter of Leah Thompson of Back to the Future. Zoe Deutsch, who was in that great movie with James, I'm now canceled Franco, called Why Him? Separating art from the artist, I'm still going to watch Why Him? And then Johnny Flynn. Johnny Flynn plays a gangster. The outfit refers to the mob in Chicago in the 1950s, but it's also a double entendre. Who doesn't like a good double entendre? I mean, if you can't, Give yourself at least six or nine double entendres during the course of a day. You have not taken full advantage of the time between sunrise and sunset. So the outfit is the story about a tailor named Shmoyle. That's from the last five years, so that's not really his name. But in any case, it's about a tailor. And there's some weird stuff that's going on in the tailor shop. The entire movie, it's like a play. It's a major Hollywood film that has one set. That's it. And you're saying to yourself, how can that be? That can't be interesting. How do they keep it going? Some plays do not adapt well to the screen. I'm not convinced the outfit was a play to start with, but they filmed it like a play. It's placed like a play. It has characters who are play-worthy and performances that are phenomenal. It's sort of a whodunit, but you know who done it. but why did they done it? And then when you think you know why they done it, maybe that's not why they done it, maybe that's not who did it, but it has to be, but then it wasn't. But then you watch the whole thing and you say, oh my God, no way. So it's not scary. It's not particularly bloody, though there is blood. There is 
murder involved. There's guns involved. There's crime involved. There's deception involved. There's love involved. All of the ingredients that you need for a great movie, but it is not Johnny Flynn's best work. I'm concerned, Coca, that the star of Love Sick, which is a series that I want you to watch so badly with subtitles at first to make sure you don't miss anything because they're accents. The reality is that Johnny Flynn is now making the move to the big screen. He was in another movie recently that we reviewed, Coca, and I can't remember what it was, but I did enjoy it. So I'm watching him make this move, and I don't know that it's going to be a full-fledged career. That said, the outfit, don't pay the $19.99. He was an Emma, thank you. God, that was a good movie. How did you come up with that so fast? I say it here and it comes in there, if you're not watching on YouTube, you don't know what I just pointed to. I pointed to the microphone and my earpiece. Say it here, comes in there. Don't spend $19.99 on the outfit. When it's available on your streaming service for F-R-E-E, then you can W-A-T-C-H-I-T. But not until then. Are we hot or what? <clears throat> I'm talking about with pics. I mean, I did shower this morning. I didn't want to shower this morning. But I did. We're 57 and 42. We had the Celtics four and a half over the Bucks. It's an easy win. Did you think the Bucks were going to win two games on the road? Did you think the Warriors were going to win two games in a row on the road? Was that your call last night when you were placing your bets or thinking about who was going to win or watching the game? It doesn't happen really in the playoffs often enough that, it's, that the odds are with you. And the reason is fascinating. When we are on the road for a playoff series and a seven-game series, you have one goal, and that's what you say to your players. That's what you're saying to your coaching staff. Get me one of the first two. That's what we have four chances to win a road game. I don't want to wait until game five or game seven. Get me one of the first two. Then you win game one on the road, and you say to yourself, Steph Curry actually said this in the interview after game one win over Memphis. He said, well, now we're just going to get ready for game two and try to get greedy. That's the expression you all use, isn't it? We use it too. Front office players, we all use it. Well, we won one. We might as well win two. When you lose game one, you say, hey, we got to get game two. We got some serious pressure to get game two. But win game one, now it's not pressure, it's greed. The problem with professional athletes is that greed is only good in contract negotiations. Greed does not come with an edge on the court or on the field. There is something about a game two when the road team is won game one that the urgency is so squarely with the home team because let's face it, season over. You lose your first two at home, it's over. Now, don't talk to me about the 96 Yankees. Was that it, Coca? Is there any way you can find that quickly? Did the 96 Yankees lose the first two games at Yankee Stadium and then win four in a row? Or did they lose the first two games in Atlanta and then win four in a row, which would be okay? Different than what I'm saying. You can't lose the first two games at home and expect to win a seven-game series. That is my general view, and that is the view shared by players and executives. Therefore, Celtics over the Bucks, easy winner. We are 57 and 42. The second game, the Yankees lost first two at home. They did it. 
Well, I know they won three straight in the row because it'd be two through five, but they won four straight is my point. So the Yankees in 96 did that. They lost the first two at home and then won four in a row. But either way, you have to win four to the next five in order to win the series when you're down 0-2, and they managed to do it. I want to say that was against the Braves. Was that 96 against the Braves? 20, that's 26 years ago. I'm sorry, what did I do yesterday? I have zero recollection. The brain is fascinating. Why is our brain wired that way? I don't know. So game two last night was the Warriors against the Grizzlies. We knew the Grizzlies would win that game. We should have had in the pick of the day. What struck me about that game was watching the physicality of it. Watching the NBA during the 80s and 90s with the Pistons, the Knicks, the Bulls, there was a very simple rule that Adrian Brody had, and it was no layups, period. When you drive against us, you are not going to get an and one. You are going to get on the ground, and then we're not helping you up. During the regular season and during the course of the last few years, the NBA has really tried to get away from that, what they described as thuggery with all of the overtones that that word has and the implications. And so the league became much more soft. You had much more three-pointers. You had a lot fewer instances of driving to the basket and getting thrown on your tuchus. But have you noticed during the playoffs that it's gotten really physical? Gary Payton may have fractured his elbow, getting crushed by Brooks, who got thrown out of the Grizzlies-Warriors game. Draymond Green got stitches like a hockey player, came back in. There's a ton of physicality underneath because so many missed shots. And referees are letting stuff go. And I like it. And the reason I like it is that if you're going to win an NBA championship, you got to be ready. You got to be ready to fight. You have to be ready every single game to make it a war of attrition. So if you're not watching the NBA playoffs, it's time to start. We have a game two of Mavs versus Suns. The Mavs lost game one by seven. The Suns are favored by six. The Mavs are a good team with a great player. The Suns are a great team with a good player. So a good team with a great player is playing a great team with a good player. The great team is going to win over the great player with the good team. But I still like getting six points. Mavs plus six versus Suns is the pick of the day. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. I appreciate your time. Please go throughout your day. Think about what you're doing at work. Think about what you're doing at home. Think about the interactions you're having. And say to yourself, hmm, am I saying the quiet part out loud? Or is it just business? This is nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.